I'm so thankful we can all be here today together, and I'm thankful that in a few moments we're going to gather around the communion table together. We're going to feast, and it's a little different than we normally do it because we're still coming out of this pandemic, and we all have different levels of comfort and safety when it comes to spacing and sharing, but however we take it, whenever we take communion, God is present in it. And for those of us who are joining online, I want to tell you that if you are in your homes, go ahead and grab whatever form of grape juice you have or water because we know Jesus turns water into wine and whatever bread or cracker or pita and, and have it with you so that you can join this table together with us. So we're well into the summer months, and if you can believe it, it's almost July. It's surprising to me how quickly that came, but I've also noticed that as people have become vaccinated, right, it's summer, and we've sort of returned to our old habit of going away and taking rest and taking Sabbath, and you've noticed that even for myself and Pastor Eric, we take Sabbath because that's in Scripture. You know, God rested on the seventh day, and we need that time every once in a while to sit back to slow things down and to, to meditate on what really matters and to refuel ourselves for the year ahead. And summer's a great time for that because kids are out of school, college kids come home, our work life might shift a little, the traffic patterns in Atlanta shift a little, and it seems like things are just a little more easygoing. Even if you find that you're not totally feeling summer yet this year, maybe your life is still hectic. I pray that there's a time and a season somewhere in this coming year where you get to pause a little bit. And in the church, our lectionary actually reflects this. There's this huge swath of time that covers over the summer. We call it ordinary time, which is a weird word because it doesn't actually mean plain. It actually refers to the way they assign numbers to the weeks, ordinal. Um, but it kind of applies because this is sort of a plain, relaxed time. And it's a time in the church where we use this sort of relaxed pattern, the fact that we're not in Advent or Lent or Easter that are heavily prescribed. And we use it to dig in and root into our faith. The color of this time, if you follow the lectionary seasons, is green. And it reminds us not only of the green that we see outside in this season, but about our own growth and connection to Jesus. And so this morning, I want us to look at a scripture that I pray will help us find some balance this summer some balance in our life if you're coming out of the pandemic and you are still trying to figure out heads from tails or what stays and what, go, what goes. I hope this scripture will help us think a little bit about how we find our balance in life and what really matters. Our scripture comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It's actually the second time Paul writes to the Corinthians because maybe like us or maybe like the church now, there are a lot of very diverse people, a lot of diverse opinions, and when you mix all that together, there's conflict and questions. And so Paul has written to the Corinthian community once, kind of given them some instruction, helped guide them, and then a conflict arises and he has to write them a second letter. And I love reading these letters of Paul because it reminds me that when I see struggles in my own faith life or in our faith community, we're not so different. <laughs> this is just what happens when we learn and grow and live with other people. So our scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 15, and it's going to be on the screens behind me if you want to follow along. Paul writes this. Be the best in this work of grace in the same way that you are the best in everything, such as faith, knowledge, total commitment, and the love we inspired in you. I'm not giving an order, but by mentioning the commitment of others, I'm trying to prove the authenticity of your love also. 
You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, he became poor for your sakes, so that you could become rich through his poverty. I'm giving you my opinion about this. It's to your advantage to do this since you not only started to do it last year, but you wanted to do it. Now finish the job as well so that you finish it with as much enthusiasm as you started, given what you can afford. A gift is appreciated because of what a person can afford, not because of what a person can't afford, if it's apparent that it's done willingly. It isn't that we want others to have financial ease and you financial difficulties, but it's a matter of equality. At the present moment, your surplus can fill their deficit so that in the future, their surplus can fill your deficit. In this way, there is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered more didn't have too much, and the one who gathered less didn't have too little. I don't know why, but every time I read this scripture, and I know it sounds stewardship sermony, and it is a little bit, but I always come to that last line, that beautiful balance that those who have much don't have too much, And those who have little don't have too little. And it reminds me of all those times in Scripture where God urges people to find a balance. You might remember the story of Moses and the people wandering in the wilderness and they were starving and God dropped manna. And what did God tell them? Collect what you can and eat only what you can for that day and leave the rest. Don't try to hoard it and keep it. It'll spoil. But just take what you need so that there's enough for everyone. It reminds me of a good church potluck rule too, right? You ever hear this at church potlucks? Or maybe uh, if you are a camper and you've been in a camp cafeteria and they tell you, just take what you're going to eat so that everyone can have some. Because you know if you're the person at the church potluck that shows a blast, you're really hoping that Miss Betty's good mac and cheese is still sitting on the table and you're not going to miss out on it. So everyone just take a little bit and eat whatever you take, right? It gives us great balance so that everyone can enjoy what is there. Now, I should tell you that in this sermon, when Paul is writing to the Corinthian community, part of the reason he's writing to them is they've gotten in a little uh, misunderstanding. (laughs) They got mad at each other. And Paul had been asking the Corinthians to send some money to another fledgling community. It was actually a community of Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So he's saying to the Gentiles, can you please just send some money to Jerusalem so we can start up this church? And when they get in this fight, the Corinthian community says, we're not sending you any more money. We're going to hold on to our money for ourselves. And so that's what you're reading here in this scripture when Paul is urging them to continue to take the offering. But what's interesting here is that uh, what Paul is doing sounds so ordinary to us, right? If you open your mailbox today, you probably have a letter from someone who wants you to give them money, college, some nonprofit, We ask for it every week in church. You can go on Wikipedia and get hit up for money. NPR wants your money. But I was studying the scripture this week, and I came across something from James Howell, who's a pastor in North Carolina. And he said that actually, Paul is the first one to create fundraising. Prior to this in scripture, no one has ever asked for money like this. And it, you know, it got me thinking because there is a history in the, the Hebrew Bible of, of people setting aside things for other people, right? We call this your tithe. And in Deuteronomy, there's a whole section about taking a tenth of your produce and saving it for the priest and the widow and the orphan and the resident alien. And you were supposed to do that every three years. They would come and, and take these things and eat them so everyone would have enough. 
But you know, James Howell's right. Never before in scripture have people been asked to give money to people they don't know. In Deuteronomy, you were holding money for people in your community. Like you had seen them, you knew them, they lived among you, they might be members of your family. But what Paul is asking here is subtly different, but in some ways very different. He's saying, I want you to send your money to a community. You will have no say over how it's used. You do not know these people. You may never meet these people. You will probably never step foot in Jerusalem, but I want you to give it anyways. So we can kind of understand how when they have a falling out, the people in Corinth are like, you asked us to do something crazy in the first place. No one's ever asked us to do this. The law doesn't tell us to do this. I don't trust you. I don't like what you're doing, and I'm going to keep my money, and I'm going to show you what it's like, right, to be reprimanded by us. And that's when Paul does this beautiful thing in Scripture. Paul is, you know, sometimes a troubling Scripture writer because he's put some passages in his letters that out of context are kind of wonky. But he also has this gift of saying really theologically profound things. He says really profound things about how we relate to God. And what he says in this scripture, and what I think he says it's important for us in this summer as we're sort of taking stock of our lives, is that he reminds the people in Corinth, and he reminds us today, that when we give, when we are generous, we are generous He says that Christ gave everything, that we might have something. He reminds the people of Corinth that aside from God, you don't have anything. So to hold back your money is to forget that all the money you have was God's first. In fact, it's really interesting in this section of scripture, which was originally written in Greek, the Greek word that's used throughout is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. I may not be saying that right because it's been a long time since I've been in biblical Greek classes. But it's the word you might recognize that's the root of the word charity, right? Charity, charis. And a lot of times when we translate words in scripture from Greek to English, they kind of lose their nuance. So when we translate this word in today's scripture from the Common English Bible, it says that it's translated as the love we inspired in you. So this word cherish, Cheris, we, we translate as the love we've inspired in you. In the New Revised Standard Version, it's translated as a generous, and still other translations will use the word favor or privilege or blessing. But that word cheris that we see throughout this scripture is the same word that's used when we talk about what Christ does for us. It really means something closer to grace, a free gift given to you that you don't earn. So to say it's a generous undertaking, while it is that, it kind of falls short of the full depth of what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that the root of why you're giving is the grace of God working in and through your life. So when he tells the Corinthians that they should excel in cherish, he's actually preparing them to understand what he says next, that the Lord Jesus Christ, although he was rich, in other words, even though Jesus was the son of God, Jesus became lowly for our sakes that we might become rich through his poverty. In other words, Paul is building this beautiful rhetorical argument to say to the Corinthians, the offering you give is not a reflection of your generosity, but a reflection of the generosity that Christ has already shown you. That's a huge shift. Charity, stewardship, generosity, understood through our faith is not just a rule, 
or an obligation as we might have understood it in the Hebrew Bible. It's not just something that God says do this or it is a response of our lives because we understand the power of God's grace in our lives. And when we give, we are reflecting that grace for other people. So the Corinthians are urged to continue collecting for Jerusalem, even if they're mad at Paul, because their faithfulness has nothing to do with Paul and everything to do with Christ. Look, I know this sounds like a summer stewardship sermon, and I know we have our finance chair in here, and he's like, good, yeah, tell him to get that strong offering in. And in some ways, maybe it's because you can look at any community of faith and you can look at their giving and you can tell if they're really truly seeking to be a reflection of Christ. When we live out our faith, when we live into this DNA of Christianity, part of what we do is give what we have. And I, I love how Paul urges in this. He says, I'm not asking you to give what you can't afford to give. I'm just asking you to think about what you could afford to give and give that. So I'm not asking you even to give as extravagantly as I'm asking you to look at what you have and think about what you could do to bring balance to your own life and balance to the life of others so that everyone has what they need. And you know, there's another bit in this scripture too about balance that maybe isn't so obvious, and that is that we know that in our lives, money has power. I know that in my hands of my eight-year-old, $5 is going to buy her a fidget toy that she could boast about to all of her friends. She can say, look at this. I don't even know what they're all called. She teaches me a new one every day. Look at this dimple digit. Look at this poppet. And all the friends will ooh and on gather around, right? And she kind of has a little bit of power in that moment because she has the cool toy. And, you know, we laugh as adults, but we do the same thing in different ways, Right? We acquire things or we use our money and that money gets us a seat at some table. And you can decide what table you're getting a seat at. But when we give our money, we think, this is worth something to us. It gives us some power. It gives us some sway. And you know, when we give into that thinking and that logic that our money will buy us, what we want, what we need, what will make us envious of everyone else, our lives get really out of whack really quickly because suddenly all we want to do is earn the next dollar, spend the next dollar, get the bigger thing, get the better thing. We start breaking relationships because we start lording that money over people and saying, this money has bought my opinion a higher and we start to find that when people disagree with us or things don't go our way, suddenly we're withholding that money and we're telling people, if you want that money back, better go my way. And I hate to tell you this, friends, but every church I've been in, it happens. Because we're human. We're a bunch of humans in a building together, trying to work through life just like the Corinthians. And sometimes things get off balance. But what Paul is telling us today is that <laughs> if we think we've ever had power through that, then we're mistaken. Because there is nothing that we have that didn't come from God. Nothing that we have. The food on your table, your job, the air you breathe, everything is a gift of God's creation. And if we can be reminded that what we have is a blessing from God, then we're freed up to regain some balance in our lives. We don't have to be driven by the quest for money or power or privilege. Suddenly we can say, you know what, I might 
actually have more, more blessing, more love, more happiness in my life if I give this away. And I don't just mean money. We've all given money in ways that make us very happy. Help families at Christmas time. Given money to people who don't have what they need. And it feels good. But you know, we're also called in the work of justice to give away some of our power, some of our privilege, some of the places where we stand up and insist we have to be right. Sometimes God's calling us in generosity to sit down and be quiet and let someone else stand up. And we do that. We remember that there's a balance between us so that those of us who have much don't have too much. Our lives aren't ruined by the quest for money and power and voice. And those who have too little don't have too little. They have enough to live, to thrive, to speak and be heard, to have their lives acknowledged and respected. When we can live in this way, we can let the balance of Christ come and our lives. We become this reflection of God's generosity. People start to look at us in our communities and go like, man, whatever's happening there is good. And here's the thing, in our own lives, we become happier because we're not always worrying about all this stuff. Today, we have an opportunity to gather together at a table. And to me, one of the most beautiful things about communion, you know, it's funny, we serve communion to the Grow Day campers, and it was great fun, and I always try to explain to the kids and ways that they can understand, like, what what in the world we're doing here because we use weird words sometimes in our communion liturgy. It doesn't always land. And so we were talking about, you know, this is God's great love poured out for you and when you take it. This is, it is the body and blood of Christ, but it's a reminder that, that Jesus loves us so much no matter what. Even when we mess up, we can come back and Jesus is ready to welcome us. And after we took communion, because we took it much like this teeny piece of bread, teeny little cup, one of the kids goes, man, I want more. And I was like, praise God, that is the best response to God's grace ever. You should have it, and even if it's just a teeny bit, you should just want more. Like, just keep coming back to that table. And the thing about communion is, we serve a lot of people off of a very little amount of juice and bread. And today, these are our little cups. You're going to see it's, that's not a lot, right? But the thing about communion is it's filling us up that we might pour out for the world. We're coming and receiving this little bit so that everyone has enough to be reminded that God's grace can come into our lives, not just for us, but for us to share. Because this table and this gift of grace cost us nothing, and it costs Christ everything. But it's a free gift to us, and it's a gift that God calls us to share. And so today, as we Prepare to come to this table to receive this meal, to pray over it, to share this feast not only with people gathered here, but people gathered online, folks who might even watch this on Wednesday or Thursday this week, as we're all drawn together around this big, beautiful table that knows no bounds. I want us to take a moment to prepare our hearts, to think about those places in our lives where we're feeling out of balance. You know, maybe it's coming out of the pandemic, we're just trying to figure out which way is up. Maybe it's Something in our lives where we're scared, like, will we have enough? Will God show up? Will I have enough money? Will I have enough energy? Will I have enough love? All of those things, all of those places. I want us to take a moment to bring those to mind and then to set them down as we come before this table, trusting that God's cherish, God's grace is enough, and God's grace is with us. 
So I mentioned that this morning we will be taking communion in a different way. In a moment, I'm going to pray a blessing over this. You'll be invited to come forward. There is some hand sanitizer you are welcome to use if you feel comfortable. You'll be given these little cups you've probably seen over the pandemic. You peel the first layer off the lid, and there's a little wafer, and then you peel the second layer off, and there's juice. Um, I would invite you to come to the rail. If you are comfortable, you can kneel or stand here, receive the elements, and return to your seat. If you would rather maintain some distance between you and other people, you're welcome to come up and take it and return to your seat, whatever you're comfortable with. God is in this, and God will bless you. We also have gluten-free elements here. If there's anyone who needs a gluten-free element, see me, and we will serve you at this station. Now let us prepare to lift up our hearts to God, to give ourself and our thanks to God who we know is with us now, has been, and will be, And so we pray, blessed are you, O God, who with your word and Holy Spirit, I love this, created all things, all things, all things, and called them good. In Jesus Christ, your word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. Through Jesus' suffering and death, you took upon yourself our sin and death and destroyed their power forever. You raised from the dead this same Jesus, who now reigns with you in glory, and poured upon us your Holy Spirit, making all of us the people of your new covenant. On the night before meeting with death, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to God, broke the bread, and gave it to all the disciples gathered there, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took a cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to all of the disciples there, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So God, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we come today to offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving is a holy and living sacrifice, together with Christ's offering for us. God, we pray now that you pour out your Holy Spirit on every person gathered here and on all of these gifts, that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this wine, we may know the presence of the living Christ and be renewed as the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by Christ's blood, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at your table forever. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. And your people join voices together to say, Amen. I invite you as you feel led to come forward, to find a space at the rail, to to take the elements, and when you finish, you can just leave them on the rail. If you want to take them to your seats, when you finish, you can just leave them on the pew and we'll take care of them after the service. But come as you feel led. Stay for as long as you need to. Set down whatever you need to set down and pick up the grace of God. The table is set. Come.